0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the Scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I'm Zach and I'm with my wife, Krista, and we are excited to be in our 21st episode and diving into the first couple of chapters of Alma. So, yay to be as far as we are. We're almost halfway through the Book of Mormon.
1: That's making it to Alma? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Here we are, 21 episodes in.
0: Yeah, that's a big deal for us. We um, we struggled getting our first four episodes up, so that we've been
1: I know. doing this for a couple of months Let now. Let's go.
0: Anyway, so we are excited to be with you. Our study tip for this week is to look for alliteration. That's not really our study tip, but I noticed that in the last couple of episodes, I'm, just because I like alliteration, I like points that start with the same letters, and I've noticed that in this episode, we are talking about prayer. I'm starting our study with a poem, Then we're going to talk about priestcraft and pride and persuasion and persecution, and then patience and priesthood.
1: And I am the type that...
0: That rolls her eyes when I <laughs> do dumb alliterations.
1: No, I appreciate the alliteration. I just feel very boxed in having to find P words for everything. So the real study tip for today... Is prayer. Is prayer, also a P word. How convenient. Um, But, you know, we wanted to... We have actually tossed around this study tip and teaching tip for pretty much from the beginning because I think this is a very basic um, study tip for us, but also probably the most important. I think even us, we... We'll get to the end of a recording episode and be like, "That that's kind of hard. Why did it take us so long? Or, oh, man, we have a lot to edit out. And then we look back and think we didn't say a prayer. I just think it doesn't hurt to have reminders to say prayers before your study. The difference it makes, honestly, is is huge. It's pretty big. I've been noticing that a lot in my own personal study, like, It's almost not even worth it for me to study if I haven't said a prayer before.
0: Yeah. I've I've been paying a lot of attention to this. We were in a meeting a couple of weeks ago with uh, an emeritus member of the 70, Eller Collister, and he gave part of his talk, which was impressive. He had 45 minutes that he spoke to us and had everything memorized. It
1: was amazing. And it was really, really good,
0: yeah. But as part of his presentation, he, uh, when he was a mission president, he said he would hear missionaries pray. And he said it sounded like they were trying to bless everything in God's creation, right? Please bless my companion. Please bless the other missionaries. Please bless the mission presidency. Please bless the people in our country. Please bless everybody else. And, and so he challenged his missionaries to stop praying for everything and just to pray for one thing. And I've actually been trying this where I we've been doing it in our family, where we talk before we pray about the one thing we're thankful for. And then the one thing we want to ask God and it forces us to be really focused in our prayer. And so as I was thinking about this for scripture study, I think what a great way to practice prayer before scripture study to think of the one thing that it is you want in your scripture study today and then to tell God that's your desire. And then to look for it as you study.
1: And as we flip this over to the teaching side, I think it could be applied the same way. Um, Maybe even inviting your group of students. What a great way to unify your learning when you're praying for something very specific. And to bring in a very specific cause that you're learning for.
0: Will you please pray for this today? Mm -hmm. Asking a family member or a class member. To pray for something specific. I, I get to hear a lot of uh, interesting prayers. There's some really funny ones like when someone prays, please help us to get something out of the lesson today, which I always, I don't know, kind of think, well, that doesn't really give a great sense of confidence in my teaching ability. <laughs> um, or my students always pray for this. Please help us to get back to school safely most dangerous walk in the world must be from the seminary building to the doors of the high school because for how often often they pray for it. (laughs) But there's some also, there's some things we pray for in our prayers uh, at the beginning of teaching that God doesn't can't, he he could, but because he doesn't violate agency, he won't do. Uh, For example, please help us or please um, help us to apply this in our daily lives. God can't force us to apply something Um, And so I've thought a lot about what what is it that you could pray for at the beginning of a study? What is it that God does that we could pray for? And so I think one in a study or in a lesson is, uh, please direct our minds to specific verses or teachings that are important for us. God can do that, right? Or please help me to fill the Spirit when I read something that's important for me. God can do that too.
1: I think he can open up our minds, um, help me understand greater than I did yesterday, Mm -hmm. understand truths more.
0: Please prompt me to find ways to apply what I'm learning today. Those kinds of things I think would make a big difference in personal study and in teaching. All right. Alma chapter one um, begins with Alma the Younger as the chief priest. If you remember, we ended the book of Mosiah with his conversion, and now he's the leader of the church. And it's not long into the chapter before we get the first trials that face him as a church leader. Um, number one, he is faced with his first Antichrist by the name of Nehor, who will actually show up repeatedly throughout the Book of Mormon. Nehor preaches a particular kind of Antichrist doctrine, which we'll dive into in a bit. Uh, in chapter 2, there's a man by the name of Amlici who arises and wants to be king, and the people hold a vote and decide not to make him king, which infuriates him. He gathers those who were uh, proponents of his, and they wage war against Alma and his people. In the middle of all of that, this is chapter 2, verse 5, and this is where we want to take the title of our uh, episode, And the question that's going to guide our study, it came to pass that the people assembled themselves together throughout all the land, every man according to his mind, whether it was for or against Amlici in separate bodies, having much dispute and wonderful contentions one with another.
1: Which is what we discussed already kind of a lot, or my question, I guess, that I keep asking you, even though we've talked about it, is what is wonderful contentions. I'm still asking myself that. And I think, what a cool phrase.
0: Yeah, and we both looked at this a little bit. We tried to search around and see what we could find. And and we found a couple of articles where it was spoken of positively. Um, I found an article about the power of democracy as highlighted in the Book of Mormon. And this could be a place for that.
1: Hmm.
0: But I looked at some other uses of the word wonderful in the Book of Mormon. There's really not that many of them. Um...
1: It does seem a little out of place, wonderful.
0: Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's an actual... One other place I found um, the word wonderful used of, I think, the four that are in the Book of Mormon, it's used to denote size. Uh, the verse that I read it in was it was a wonderful, the, the size of the army was wonderful.
1: Hmm.
0: And so I don't know if the word wonderful there means good contention. The I don't know if it we means... we use it today. Yeah, I don't know if it means democratic processes I think it means a lot of contention. This amlisi um, and maybe some of the residual effects of Nehor causes a lot of problems among the Nephites. Um, As I was studying, I, I came across this poem, which I couldn't find a byline to. It was just in one discussion thread, but it really hit me. Taking some easy way, failing to any amuse, trying the rules to stray and all trust to abuse, playing with words cute, weaving deception thin, leading others in dispute, beguiling with lies within. Wonderful contention steals the feelings of discussion, emotions caught in wheels spinning in errant pollution. Gleeful the wicked enjoy, sadly the righteous cry. Hear the adversary's ploy, Allowing Freedom to Die. That poem was titled Wonderful Contention. As I thought about this, I realized that in my life and probably in a lot of people's lives, they understand what wonderful contention is. They may be in the middle of it in their work environment or with their friends or maybe even with their family. Contentions of different kinds, whether it's contentions over politics, which seems to be quite their age, or contentions over spiritual things, over religion. Mm -hmm. And the question we wanted to study this episode was, what do you do with these wonderful contentions? Where do they come from, and and what do we do with them?
1: Especially when the footnote from this wonderful contentions um, takes us to 3 Nephi chapter 11, where it's Christ teaching. He says, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger, one with another. So we know that we need um, to try and avoid it, but maybe this is a good, I'm excited to study this because I think contention is something, like we talked about, like Zach already mentioned, we all go through it in some form or another. Um, and how do, we, how do we do it?
0: Yeah. So the first question we wanted to ask was, where does this contention come from? In these chapters, there's two main sources of contention, one from Nehor and one from Amlici. Nehor's brand of contention is titled by Mormon, or I guess titled by Alma, priestcraft. This is in Alma chapter 1, verse 12, and Alma simply says, this is the first time that priestcraft has been introduced among this people." The definition of priestcraft given by Nephi earlier in the Book of Mormon is when men set themselves up to be a light and seek for the praise and the gain of the world. Nehor's teachings are that the priests should be paid and that they should be popular and that because of that popularity and that income, they shouldn't have to support themselves with their labor, which is something that's been a hallmark of the church ever since Benjamin set that Precedent himself. This is a really popular teaching among the Nephites, which leads to that wonderful contention. And as I thought of it, I I don't know if that is a particular temptation for many of us. Maybe it is. But as I looked at the outcomes of priestcraft listed in the last couple of verses in chapter one, it became a lot more real to me because these are things I think that a lot of us maybe identify with more. Verse 19. It came to pass that whosoever did not belong to the church of God began to persecute those that did belong to the church of God and had taken upon them the name of Christ. Yea, they did persecute them and afflict them with all manner of words, and this because of their humility. Verse 23, uh, this was in the second year of the reign of Alma. It was the cause of much affliction to the church. Yea, it was the cause of much trial within the church. For the hearts of many were hardened, And their names were blotted out and they were remembered no more among the people of God. And also many withdrew themselves from among them. Now this was a great trial to those who did stand fast in the faith. I think a lot of this contention that's happening inside the church, maybe inside families about the church, um, causes a lot of pain for uh, people surely on both sides. Um, And that's one source of contention I think we can identify in these verses that maybe we can also identify in our lives.
1: And of course, how can we not go on through these chapters without recognizing the pride that shows up? Um, We talk about the pride cycle all the time in the Book of Mormon, and here we see it again. Um, In chapter 1, it talks about the the pride and the vain things of the world that they're looking at. And again in chapter 4, verse 9, And thus, in this eighth year of the reign of the judges, there began to be great contentions among the people of the church because of these things that are mentioned above. In verse eight, he says, the people of the church began to be lifted up in the pride of their eyes and to set their hearts upon riches and upon the vain things of the world, that they began to be scornful one towards another, and they began to persecute those that did not believe according to their own will and pleasure. Um, It talks more about lifted up in the pride of their eyes, they waxed proud. And I couldn't help and think um, of how this applies to us today and how we um, set our hearts upon things, um, riches of the world. And the first thing that came to my mind was social media and some of those um, that all we're looking at all day are these the vain things of the world, really. Mm -hmm. These... Outfits, these expensive vacations, exotic vacations, these shoes that we need to have, and those um, the the goals that we set for ourselves of like hashtag mom goals or hashtag outfit of the day or whatever it is that we are looking to as our goals. I've even seen you know those there's all those posts that come up of maybe even someone who's trying to. Bear testimony of something good or posting something great content, and then people don't even read their content. Instead, you see in the com- comments, where did you get your dress? Where did you get mm-hmm. your shirt? Who does your hair? And so here we are feeding into this essentially in, fact, in you, our day.
0: You made the point earlier when we were studying in chapter three with the Amlicites if Nihor's doctrine is priestcraft, Amlicize seems to be pride that I should be king and that we should be recognized and that we should be praised um, and that we are something great to be uh, applauded. And because of that pride, um, this army that Amlici raises marks themselves to separate themselves from the Nephites. This is verse 4 in chapter 3. The Amlicites were distinguished from the Nephites, for they had marked themselves with red in their foreheads after the man of the Lamanites Nevertheless, they had not shortened their heads like unto the Lamanites. And I, as I was reading that verse, I thought, "Boy, this is kind of that, um, oh, I I heard Elder Bednar say once that the common phrase that we should be in the world, but not of the world. And he commented too many of our members are not in the world, but they're of the world, Um, meaning they're focused on so many worldly things, but they're not actually engaging with real life people anymore. Yeah, because of social media. So we were talking about that, and that's where you brought up this that hashtags are a way that we mark ourselves, or we have handles, we have labels, we have status updates, we have pictures, all that that label us as something. And so, what are those labels saying about us? Are we marking ourselves like the Lamanites or like the world,
1: or even these um, the way that we describe ourselves, or are our, the accolades that we give ourselves through social media or through Not by anything we're doing bad, but maybe that we wear those as a badge of honor instead of maybe the things that are most important of where's your heart? Um, Where are you spending your time?
0: So if those are a couple of sources of that wonderful contention, how do we contend back? I like this verse and maybe it's just because I'm a guy, but this is um, chapter two, Mm -hmm. verse 34. Alma takes the head of his army. It says, And thus he cleared the ground, or rather the bank, which was on the west of the river Sidon, throwing the bodies of the Lamanites who had been slain into the waters of Sidon, that thereby his people might have room to cross and contend with the Lamanites. I love the image of the prophet out there clearing the ground and making the way for his people to contend back. So this question, how do we contend back then, uh, yields also a couple of answers. And the one that I kind of looked at was um, back in chapter one, we read this verse, or at least the first half of it in verse 20, that because of their humility, the church members were persecuted. But here's the end of the verse. They were persecuted, verse 20, because they were not proud in their own eyes and because they did impart the word of God one with another without money and without price. Um, That humility is mentioned in verses 26 through 29, where repeatedly Mormon points out that because of their humility, they imparted the word of God with others, they shared their substance with others, they took in the poor and they took in the needy. And even in verse 29, when they become, because of their steadfastness, very rich and prosperous, at least in this instance, they do not become prideful, but they still take care of the poor and the needy. And so I noticed that one counter-contention to... Pride is not to be prideful. I guess humility is the word, but uh, to not be prideful. And then verse 25, uh, this persecution was a great trial to those who did stand fast in faith. Nevertheless, they were steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of God, and they bore with patience the persecution which was heaped upon them. So to fight back, we have to be not prideful. And be patient. We have to be without pride and with patience.
1: Which is that humility and meekness, those kind of the opposite of those.
0: Um, Like Elder Bednar talked about this the last conference, right? That meekness, that righteous responsiveness and willing submissiveness to the things which are inflicted upon us. Um, Great restraint in the face of persecution.
1: And that's exactly what they're what they're demonstrating here through these chapters.
0: The other verses that I liked is in chapter 3. We talked a lot about this at the very end of chapter 3, verse 27. Every man receiveth wages of him whom he listeth to obey. And I thought, if priestcraft is to set yourself up as a light to receive gain, the only person I can think of that to his core tried to aggrandize himself, or I guess the perfect example of that was Satan. Isaiah 14, 14, where he says, I will ascend unto the most high. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will do it. He wanted the praise and he wanted God's glory for it. He wanted to be paid because of his greatness. And contrast that with the Savior, Uh, good master. And Jesus interrupts, why callest thou me good? None is good but God. And so if priestcraft is that, my question, and I asked this to you, was what's the opposite of priestcraft? If the world constantly clamors that we should make of ourselves something great, that we should set ourselves up as a light, that we should be, have thousands and thousands of followers and and get thousands of endorsements because of it, um, what's the opposite of
1: that? Well, in that sense, I think the opposite of priestcraft is just relying fully on God and recognizing that it all is through him. He is the source of everything, and we give all credit to him. I love a a thought from Viktor Frankl. He talks about that um, in America we talk a lot about liberty and freedom, and that we have this sense that we just deserve it. We live in America, so that's what we deserve. And his comment was that we need to also, on the West Coast, we need to have a statue, of, a statue of responsibility, because with liberty and freedoms, there's always responsibility attached to that. And these people recognize this in chapter 4, verse 3. It says, they were awakened to a remembrance of their duty as they realized that God was really the one that was the source that they needed to look for, that they needed to remember him. That I believe that there is that that duty and that responsibility to, do, to remember our God. And this is what we're learning from them, is that our duty and our responsibility is to remember God and to remember that our strength comes through Him.
0: And because that's not a P word, chapter 4, verse 20, <laughs> Thus in the commencement of the ninth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, Alma delivered up the judgment seat to Nephiha, and confined himself wholly to the high priesthood. Of the holy order of God, to the testimony of the Word, according to the Spirit of Revelation and prophecy.
1: And so, if we are considering that the meaning of priesthood, Elder Oaks teaches, is the power of God, that that's exactly what they're doing. Their priesthood is the power of God, and they have to remember that all power comes through Him.
0: So to recap, um, these wonderful contentions in our lives come from multiple sources. They could come from the pressures of the world to engage in priestcraft, to set ourselves up as a light, or to worship false lights and give them our money. They can also come from pride, um, from the desire to mark ourselves in the way of the world so that we can receive uh, appreciation or accolades. To contend back, we'll let the prophets clear the ground. Our job is to be without pride and with patience, and to use priesthood, to use the power of God to impart the word to others. Um, and Man, to, you were
1: good with this today. To the, another, uh, power. another power.
0: Another power. P word. <laughs> but to impart the word of God to others um, and to rely on God and recognize that all good things come from him. Um, in closing, this, this quote is a favorite of mine. It's... You always have good quotes. When you have a prophet quoting a prophet, you know you're on really safe ground. Uh, Speaking of marking yourself, we have a bad example here of the Amlicites marking themselves in the way of the Lamanites. But I think there's also an example of marking yourself in a good way. And this quote, this is President Monson quoting President Benson, I think shows how we have been marked um, and set apart for good things. In all ages... Prophets have looked down through the corridors of time to our day. Billions of the deceased and those yet to be born have their eyes on us. Make no mistake about it. You are a marked generation. For nearly 6,000 years, God has held you in reserve to make your appearance in the final days before the second coming of the Lord. Some individuals will fall away, but the kingdom of God will remain intact to welcome the return of its head, even Jesus Christ. While this generation will be comparable in wickedness to the days of Noah, when the Lord cleansed the earth by flood, there is a major difference this time. It is that God has saved for the final inning some of his strongest children who will help bear off the kingdom triumphantly. It's my testimony that our responsibility as disciples of Christ and as Latter-day Saints is to prepare this church for the Lamb. Sometimes that brings, maybe all the times, that brings contention into our lives. But if we can be without priestcraft, with patience and with priesthood, I think we can do as President Monson instructs, bear off the kingdom triumphantly as we get ready for the coming
1: of the Savior. That's it for this episode. We are so excited to dive into Alma. What a great book to be studying over these next few weeks. Thank you for listening. Um, grateful for um, those of you following over on the Scripture Study Project on Instagram. Hoping to connect with you there. And I think that's about it. See
0: you next episode.
1: Thank you.